Hey, and welcome back to the Will and Rob show. Uh, it is great to be with you guys this morning. We are recording on Thursday morning instead of Wednesday afternoon with with uh, with an explanation coming. There will be an explanation coming for why this is so from Mr. Robert Hassler. Uh, my name is Will Stockdale. I'm a ministry associate with Ministry to State. That is a ministry of the PCA here in Washington, D.C., seeking to uh, minister to those serving in government here, as always, with my good friend, Robert Hassler, who is a ministry associate as well with Ministry to State. Um, but Robert, I feel, I don't want to put you on the spot. I don't want to make you feel ashamed <laughs> or guilty. Certainly don't want to cause anxiety, but not. I do think you owe everybody an explanation. I do. You're right. Yeah. We're recording this a, a day later because um, when I got home, or I guess when I got to the train station where my car was at uh, and about to drive home so we could record yesterday, um, I uh, was leaving the train station and noticed that my tire pressure was at not like a, like a low number, but like at zero, I had zero PSI in my tire. uh, And that was a cause of concern um, and so I, I pulled over and, and took a look at it and yeah, it was, uh, it was not good. Um, I, so actually what I thought was, um, it was the first time I'd been to the train station with my new, uh, magnet that I got from the pro-life gala that we went to, uh, just a couple weeks ago, or I guess last week. And my first thought was, oh my gosh, did somebody like puncture my tire? Mm-hmm. Um, but that was thankfully not the case. Uh, I just caught a nail uh, and uh, uh, was able to get the car towed to the place, taken care of, and all solved. All is good. The car is fine. But I just had an insane uh, experience because uh, the customer service was so good from AAA and the auto care shop. From the time I noticed my car, my tire was flat by the time I was home was an hour and 15 minutes. That's pretty good. (laughs) Pretty fast. I was pretty, wow. I was pretty amazed. My AAA guy was, was awesome. Um, and, uh, uh, helped me out. And then, uh, yeah, the good, the good friends are good folk down at Lake Ridge Auto Care. Good people took care of us. So you can not, you can just not beat good customer service. It's the best. Mm, it is nice. You know, and I think that reminds me, we should probably seek out AAA for another, uh, sponsorship. Um, we should, they want right. to, you know, we'll make plugs for them. Um, get your people AAA listening to the show must think that I have the worst luck with cars and they would be right. Yeah. I mean, there was a span of time last year where I had AAA unlock my keys out of my car, like multiple times within six months. Was it ever the same guy again? No, we'll leave that alone and just move on to, to other things, but opening day is coming up. So you're today, although everything's getting postponed because of the weather. Yeah, dude, I I've said this before and, and I'll, I'll, I'll give up on the weather and criticizing her if she gets her act together and starts putting forth some effort. But this has been a, a weak, weak showing. So yep. that's all I have to say about that. Um, but that is, again, I have to, I have to rein us in here constantly. I think uh, not, <laughs> Not why we're here. Uh, we did want to talk about uh, a couple things that we think are 
um, connected to each other. And I think relevant to a lot of us in our lives, relevant to a lot of our experience. Um, and, uh, and one is probably more dominant than the other. And that is, we want to talk about this age of anxiety, which is a phrase from the poet or the age of anxiety, which is a poet from uh, a phrase from the poet WH Auden. And then uh, the, the idea of the power of prayer and how those two are related. And, um, um, there, there is a, there is a way in which anxiety seems ubiquitous. It, it is everywhere. Um, it rose a lot during the pandemic. It has subsided from, but the uh, number of Americans who suffer from some kind of anxiety uh, disorder or effects of anxiety is around 19.1%, um, which is pretty high when you think about it. And that, that covers a number of different um, types from um, like a general anxiety to a social anxiety to a something like OCD. Um, and so you, you have this, this state and then, and then you have, for example, Jesus's commands to not be anxious in Matthew six twenty five, And then you have Paul's command to not be anxious in Philippians four, six. Um, and then we have this idea of the power of prayer. And so well, what is prayer? what is the connection between prayer and anxiety? Why do we pray? Um, how is it uh, involved in our lives? Um, how is it an antidote to anxiety? And what about it reflects that there is such thing as an antidote to anxiety? And then, I, and then like a lot of this anxiety stuff gets really complicated, I think. And um, for one thing, uh, it seems that there, there, is, there is like these, there's a the command of Jesus not to be anxious. And so we want to look at what that means, because to not obey what Jesus has commanded would be a sin. That would be disobedience and therefore a sin. Um, but we can also recognize it seems that there is a, a type of anxiety, perhaps, that is not inherently sinful. I think maybe the unrest might be the result of sin in some way, um, but is not sinful in its appearance, perhaps. And so it's an interesting, delicate situation to address. And, and I'll just be upfront um, here. I, the summer um, anxiety is something that hits close to home. The summer after uh, or summer before I went to my first year of college, I was diagnosed with OCD, um, which rose in a very acute form, had been rising over time and then had just kind of broken in a, in a pretty intense way. And um, praise God through things like counselors and wise men and women, the love of my parents and friends. And then as well as um, medication has, has gotten a lot better, but I do think about um, my own story with anxiety and OCD and its effects on me um, in relation to his commands to not be anxious. Um, Cause when I look on it, it doesn't always seem like it was sinful uh, when I had these anxieties in, in what I was anxious about, but, we, we also want to be faithful to scripture. And so with that, Robert, I want to, I want to kick it over to you and hear what thoughts you have. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's um, it means a lot to, to know that. And then to also uh, it, it, it brings this conversation down to a really practical level because you know, those numbers that you're saying one in five people basically um, uh, know this, this, issue or know this topic firsthand. Um, and so they're probably sitting here, you know, if you're one of our listeners listening, you know, this, this does hit very close to home. And so we want to be sensitive to that, but like you said, how do we balance 
you know, our sensitivity and, and care and love for people who struggle with anxiety and then also uh, heed our Savior's um, command to not be anxious. Uh, how do we do that? What does that look like? And I think um, we need to uh, uh, approach this very carefully, but also very uh, faithfully to Scripture. You know, as we were preparing for this conversation, what I was trying to sit and think about were some of the sources in our culture um, of anxiety. Um, and you mentioned the pandemic as sort of a, a catalyst as maybe uh, something that um, I'm sure created anxiety for a lot of people, but in many ways, probably also uh, really sort of supercharged anxieties, prior anxieties that were already there. Um, and so what, what, what are those sources um, of anxiety? I mean, I have some thoughts, you know, I think um, as we have retreated more and more inward uh, in modernity and post-modernity, um, as we've sort of started scraping the, the inside edges of our own heart um, and, and mining what, what's the depths of that, um, coming into contact with uh, the real brokenness of our hearts, the real uh, sinfulness of our uh, rebellion against God, I think uh, definitely causes anxiety, uh, especially when those anxieties uh, about identity and who you are and maybe how you express yourself are uh, encouraged by others uh, uh, to um, play out more in your life. I think about things like uh, transgenderism uh, as, a, as a good example. Um, and I think that that inward turn is probably a big source of, of anxiety uh, today. But also I think, you know, just the the hyperactivity of our lives and how uh, being connected to so many things through our phones and through the internet, uh, being effectively front row observers of so much that happens, particularly bad things that happen in the world. I think we get sort of inundated um, with this bad news kind of echo chamber and that creates anxiety as well. And I wonder you know, as we've grown disconnected from our peers who are our families, there are people who are face-to-face -face and traded that in for an online community that can't know you, that can't love you and can't um, care for you the way that physical people can. I wonder if that has also been a great source of sort of spiraling anxiety, but I'd be interested in what, what you think. Yeah. So I, I think one, we could do like a taxonomy of anxiety here and that there's a sense of neurosis maybe within society that like Seinfeld kind of tapped into with their, with their um, uh, solution of, or prescription of there's not anything wrong with that. Well, not that there's anything right. wrong with that, you know, so that's the best we can come up with in a way um, that's been dissatisfying. So we'll get to maybe some other solutions that have come. So you have this like general society of like anxiety, then you have um, particular uh, anxiety disorders that are there. And so that's, that's the result of chemistry, um, genetics, um, uh, experiences and events cause that as well. And so we want to be sensitive to that and treatment there. Um, and I think it's good to remind each other that just because something might be the result of chemistry doesn't mean the enemy doesn't want to use it for destruction. Mm. And so I think about my own life and, and with OCD, for example, and what was going on and um, how it was affecting me. Um, I can say that it was a chemical imbalance that, that there was a, um, a need for to, to get help and medication and, and get balanced. But 
there are certain ways in which it, it disrupted social uh, relationships, relationships with my family. Um, it cut things off. It, it, uh, it you know, there were, were these effects of it that the enemy certainly would love to use and to exploit. Um, and then there are the anxiety that is like an explicit doubting of God and his ability to provide and care for us, which seems to be what Jesus is saying in Matthew six twenty five, where do not worry about what you eat or drink for God will provide basically. And then when Paul says the same thing in Philippians, be anxious for nothing. Um, and so we, you know, we can get there more, but in terms of like describing anxiety and where we are, it's interesting. The age of anxiety, like I said, came from uh, WH Auden and his his long poem that he published in 1947. And he's looking at this, he's in America at this time and he's looking at the landscape and he writes it about these four characters that are in a bar talking to each other, these four different characters. And one of the things that he's looking at is this question of like um, fracturing of community and isolation and this post-World War II landscape that's there. And I think if you look to where we are today and, and why anxiety has risen, um, you, what you mentioned is true. A lot of sources of security and stability for us have gone into mega flux mm. and we don't recognize them as much. Um, we're more likely, especially for college educated to move away from home. Mm. And so we haven't maybe thought about how much that means to move away from your roots in family and community. Again, there's not anything necessarily wrong with that or sinful. You and I are both moved away from home. Yep. Um, hopefully that's not sinful. Uh, uh, you can, you think about um, just being able to be known as well. Uh, that is lost. Um, how do you get to know people who knows your story? I mean, whenever you meet new people, you have to retell your story in a certain way. Um, and then you have different effects of our work that has changed a lot. Uh, I think I've said this before on the show, but Marx has a famous quote that everything is solid melts into air. Mm. And his point was that he was looking at the industrial revolution and what was taking place. He recognized that it wasn't just the workers who were going to experience change, but he said this, this dynamic is going to change everything. And Carl Truman has said some good stuff about this. Tony Rinke as another guy who talks about this, but we need to be aware that technology changes the way that we interact with the world around us. And so we are living in a time of rapid technological change and innovation, which can bring about a lot of anxiety and unsettling, even if we don't recognize it as like shaking hands or shortness of breath or rapid heart rate, there can still be a sense of uh, neurosis or like a sense of um, just like a subtle sense of, I don't know where I belong. I don't know where I fit. Um, everything seems kind of slippery. So I think that's a lot of uh, our landscape. Now, I think about being in DC particular, there's such a realignment of, of political parties and um, perspectives from you get uh, the radical right to the radical left. You get you know this barstool conservatism that seems to be pretty absent of any type of morality whatsoever. Um, you get progressives, you get liberals, conservatives, um, and trying to figure out exactly what are all these new alignments going to be and result in. Um, you get the reshaping of the world order right now, quite literally. Uh, you get new alliances that are forming, or at least alliances that are becoming more solidified in trade deals. I, there's a lot that I think can go on to a sense of unsettling um, that can be very disruptive for us and therefore lead us to not really sure what things mean. What are the values that are there? And I guess that's the other thing I should say is not only like physical movement, but have the question of with this change in technology, with this change in world order, politics, 
family life, have values changed? As in what were once conceived as written in stone morality, are those actually just personal preferences? Mm. And um, what does that mean? So where do I go for that? And, um, um, and then, you know, I guess you wonder how much does that affect the actual chemistry? How does that happen? Because right. it seems like the rates are higher than they used to be. So maybe the chemical is downstream from that. Right. Yeah. It seems like those things kind of sometimes um, in a sort of dark way, mutually reinforce one another. And so, you know, the chemical uh, can be exacerbated by the, by the contextual or the, or the cultural. Um, and then I don't know about, I don't know, I guess maybe I don't know by vice versa, but I'm sure um, those things definitely have an interplay that um, are, is, is both scary and, and yeah. Well, let's do this to, to maybe help ourselves and people listening, what we mean by anxiety and what we mean as like a sinful versus maybe immoral versus amoral yeah. in terms of anxiety. Um, and there's some examples you brought up, but I'll just read the passage here. And then we have this and we'll talk. And so Matthew 625, Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And one of the things that I love about Jesus and his ministry that comes out super clearly in John is his love for his father. He is absolutely obsessed with his father and he loves him and being around him. He has spent eternity past with him uh, in his presence with the spirit and this love and perfectly provided for always. And so he comes to earth with that knowledge in mind wanting to tell people who listen to him and his disciples that, Hey, my father who cares for me will care for you as well. And so that is a truth. That is an eternal truth that is in place. Um, doesn't mean life will be easy because look what Jesus went through. Look what he went through for us. He was, and not just on the cross, his whole life was one of sacrifice and being no one was more misunderstood in the history of the world than Jesus everywhere. He turned, he was misunderstood. So, what we can say is this, some image that I had in my head, you know, I think about um, the, the mother, single mother of three children who goes into her pantry and realizes she has a can of baked beans in there and $3 in her checking account until she gets paid a week from tomorrow. And so she's like, what do I do? Well, I think there's two responses. One is like, I have children to care for. They're going to be hungry. They're coming home. I don't want them to be embarrassed. Their friends have food. I, there are all these things that, that creep up that are real and very true and, and, and felt and experienced. And, and she wants to be a good mother. And so, yes, you see this, but there's two responses that can have. One is to deny God's goodness, to, to disbelieve his promises, to say he doesn't care for me and he won't help me. And there's no one in, on earth or in heaven who is around for me now. I hope this is on callous, but I would say that that is a denial of who God is and what he has done. Um, now there is a far extreme where she decides to do nothing and just sits there and waits for something to miraculously show up. Um, but then there's something that is in the middle or the appropriate response that is to, to trust God that he will provide and to consider and pursue avenues that he has provided in order to bring about this care and resolution, whether that's through the church, which would, I think would be the, the first one, Lord willing in the city. Um, 
and look, I know this isn't easy and we don't have to get to all of this, but you know, Ukraine's probably a great example. What do you think about a mother who's trapped in a bomb shelter? Um, how do we think about this? Um, and, and it's much, it's a much bigger question than anxiety. We're talking about the problem of evil at that point. Um, but I wanted to bring that up and make something of a distinction there between what Jesus is talking about, this felt need to provide, and then an anxiousness that results in a lack of trusting in God and a disbelief in who he is. Yeah, that, that distinction is really helpful because I was thinking, you know, the same uh, Savior who commanded us to not be anxious. Um, I, I, I don't really have another word to describe what he goes through in the garden as in, you know, in Luke where he's sweating blood at the contemplation of the cross and knowing, you know, what, what lies ahead. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have another word to describe that maybe then, you know, anxiety has got to be part of it, right? Um, and so the same savior who commands us not to be anxious himself experienced that, that type of anxiety that you're distinguishing, which is, you know, that, that very human, um, feeling of, of, uh, yes, the fear of the unknown, but also of the, um, kind of the, the pain and torment that, that life often brings the suffering that life often brings. And I think, that's, that's important. But, the, but like you said, Jesus never failed in trusting the goodness of the father and, and the purposes and the plan of the father. Um, and that's a really important distinction. You know, I, as we were kind of prepping for this meeting, I was thinking, you know, is the, is the guy who's sitting in the interview room or in the waiting room before his big interview, is he sinning because he's got butterflies in his stomach? I don't really, I, I'm just not ready to go there. What, what might be a sin is sitting there thinking, um, you know, if I don't get this job, my life is over. There's nothing that, that can, ha- like, I, there's nothing that can happen. Nothing, nothing that God can do to, to um, help me. This, this is it. Everything is riding on this one moment. Um, particularly that's, that's, I think, telling because it, it, a lot of it rides on, well, I have to accomplish this thing for myself. Everything relies on me right now to do this thing. And I think that's a very different understanding than the person who's sitting in the waiting room going this, I'm nervous. This is a big moment in my life, but whether I get the job or not, I know that the Lord will provide. He will care for me, and He's leading me to where He wants wants me to be. And I think that's very different. Yeah. So we've we've done something of a really rough, high level. That uh, doesn't even deserve the term taxonomy, but of different types of anxiety, and um, want to be aware of the distinctions and um, the need to to treat them accordingly. And this is where Christian wisdom comes in. But we certainly don't want to. Um, flatten it to one place or uh, be disregarding of the realities that are present in the different types. Uh, but we also want to take it seriously because I think if we know anything about anxiety, regardless of whether it is sinful or not, it is very disruptive to a living of a peaceful life. I mean, anxiety is one of the biggest opposites of peace that I can, that I can think of. Mm-hmm. Um in addition to this, there's another passage that we're all probably familiar with in terms of speaking to anxiety and a command to not be anxious. And that comes from Philippians 4 and Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, you know, there's something really helpful here about the command and um, the, the, what is forbidden and what is commanded. 
So don't be anxious. And then he, then he says what to put in its place. And by telling us what to put in its place, I think lets us know a little bit more of what Paul means by don't be anxious, like what he's actually saying not to be. And so there is a sense in which Paul acknowledges that there is a reality that anxiety will come up, that, that, uh, that uncertainties, uh, that a sense of unease, that a um, concern for the future or the present or even the implications of the past come up. Um, but the solution is prayer and supplication, take it to God. Uh, I think so what that shows us is that the anxiety that Paul is, is warning and commanding against is what you had said, Robert, just a second ago, this sense of it's all up to me. This is all on me. I am completely left on my own. You know, I think one big thing that, that affects DC people is what do people think of me? Mm. And so what is my reputation here? And this, when I was still in Dallas, I was talking to a friend and I was like, man, you know, I'm, what is my reputation? I'm wondering, but what is my reputation? Da, 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 asking this question. He's like, Will, Will, who controls your reputation? Mm. And I was like, well, I do. I mean, I'm responsible. And he like shakes his head. I know. <laughs> And he said, no, God does that. God, I mean, we can't control our reputation at all. Um, it is the father who, who will, and the spirit working in the world who takes care of our reputation. So we have to remember that. And so I think that there's a, there's a helpful clarity here that Paul brings us, which is anxiety is a, is a something that we can get stuck. Luther says that sin turns us in on ourselves. And if there's something that I think anxiety does, it turns us in on ourselves big time and causes great chaos. Um, and so he's saying, don't do that. Don't stay there. Don't be left on your own. Don't be stewing and, un, and, and fearful and don't, because that will lead us to places. We'll, we'll pursue avenues, which we'll talk about next, um, that are counter to God, whether that's, you know, you know, shopping therapy or, uh, you know, abusive substances or pornography or, um, uh, some seeking some kind of comfort apart from God or whatever, um, so, so he says, but by prayer and supplication. So his, his, his prescription against this is to pray, be ask God for, for provision and to give thanks um, in the community of the saints, nonetheless. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a challenging command uh, to someone experiencing anxiety. And like you said, making that inward turn to then uh, to turn to, someone totally other, uh, like God, um, and to, uh, pray and, and ask for supplication, uh, before him. I, you know, it's so interesting now that there's, there is something baked into the human character that when times of trouble happen, there needs to be some kind of appeal to something outside ourselves. There is a sort of innate recognition amongst a lot of people that we just of ourselves is not, is not enough. We need something else. But like, I was, I was texting you about this. Like, I have noticed this upward tick in social media where when something like a tragedy happens, you know, I'm always used to the sort of like my thoughts and prayers over that person. Uh, but what I've seen a lot now lately is like, I'm like positive energy, good vibes kind of stuff. And that is like an implicit, like saying that stuff, obviously um, uh, silly is an implicit understanding that like, there's got to be some kind of energy force beyond ourselves that takes care of, takes care of things like this. Um, uh, but again, that's like looking inward again, because like you have to be the source of the good energy or the positive vibes or whatever. Um, and what's 
so different about prayer uh, in the in the biblical you know orthodox understanding is that the power of prayer has nothing to do with the person making the prayer right uh, I used to struggle with this constantly as a, as a kid growing up is that if my answers weren't answer or if my prayers weren't answered the way that I thought they should be my understanding was I didn't pray hard enough I didn't mean it so I would have these sort of like breakdowns where I would say okay if I don't if I don't cry while I'm making this prayer, it won't be heard. If I don't sort of uh, beat myself while I make this prayer or, or, you know, beat my chest or, you know, fall on the floor making this prayer, it won't be answered. The power of the prayer lies in the force that I'm sending it out. But that's just a, that's just a baptized Christianized version of like positive vibes, good vibes. Mm -hmm. Um, The power of prayer has nothing to do with the person making the prayer. The power of prayer has to do with the person who we're praying to and who he is and his person and his character. And if you're a Christian, we pray to the absolute holy and sovereign creator God of the universe, right? And um, who is good and uh, 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 brings about all things. And so when we pray to him, we pray with that understanding, that distinction between us and who he is. Um, and it really does. It takes us out of ourselves and it, it lifts us up to him. Um, and I think what I've noticed in prayer is, especially in times where I'm anxious or, or nervous, um, what my prayer starts as is like, Lord, help me not to be anxious, help me to get this interview, help me to, you know, provide for my family, blah, blah. And what I, what I often find is that after I'm praying about these kind of things, and as my mind reflects on who God is and who I'm praying to and what I'm praying about, by the end of it, my prayer sounds much more like, Lord, what is your will? you know, attune my will to yours, make me want to want the things that you want. Um, and that's a much different thing. I think you, you got, there's both. We, we want to be specific in what we're praying for. I don't think the Bible tells us we can't do that. We, we, we need to bring our cares and concerns to the, to the Lord. But I think through the, the, the power of prayer, through what we're doing, the actual posture of it, we come to also grow in our understanding um, of where our hearts should be and our hearts should be aligned with who God is and what he wants. Um, And I think that's a much, much different thing and a much different response to anxiety than what we often get in culture. Yeah, that's, that's a good word. And I I think it'd be an interesting um, evangelistic tool or evangelistic method to ask people, Hey, how do you pray? And they might look and say, what do you mean? I don't pray. I'm not a Christian. And they may say, well, you do, you, you appeal to something beyond yourself. So what, what does that look like? And it can, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, that make me a little smart alecky if you, if we says that wrong, but it can be done in a, in a loving conversational way. And to, to recognize that we live in a world that is increasingly becoming, this is what I said before here, but like pre-pagan. And so there are a number of sources that you go to, uh, in order to, um, to find comfort or some type of security, whether that's the 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 physicist universe of Carl Sagan or the the zeitgeist of the philosophers or the uh, good vibes of the yogis um you know or crystals or whatever you know um I shouldn't laugh I'm sorry well they're real and they're coming and I and I think it'll probably increase uh, and it'll it'll unfortunately be syncretistic with Christianity in a number of ways uh, if we don't know our doctrine and what we believe but um it's there. And so just be aware of what, what, 
you know, what's going on and then how to reach people. And so my, my other question is, so how ought we to think of prayer and its power? You mentioned that it's not in us in the sense that um, um, we don't pray because we believe in the power of prayer per se. We, we pray because we believe in the one who hears our prayers. And so I just, to wrap up here, take us to this place, Robert, of why should we value prayer? Why should we treasure it? Why should we make sure that it's a, it's a vital practice in our Christian walk? Yeah. Um, I mean, I would echo, you know, kind of uh, a lot of what I was saying. I mean, the, the power of prayer and the, the reason why we pray is because, um, you know, everything we go through, all the trials, all of the suffering, all of the sacrifice um, is to bring us into closer relation with God and who he is. Um, that's the point of, of sanctification is to grow in holiness and into the image of Christ um, and uh, who we were made to be. And, you know, prayer reinforces that, that relationship. It, it, it's, it's coming before a good father who loves you um, and wants to hear about your struggles and your pains, but also wants to uh, uh, push you in holiness and sanctification. And I think that that's really important. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, as a, as a father myself with, with two young boys, you know, my, my oldest is just now getting to the age where he can, he can kind of recognize like, okay, what I did was wrong. Like I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have thrown that toy or I shouldn't, he's just at that point. And, um, when he does something wrong, he, uh, he can often do one of two things. He, he often kind of retreats and runs. So he'll like run to his room. Um, cause he knows what he did was wrong. And there's this innate sense of like, I need to escape from this. Um, but he can also, you know, what we're, what we're working on with, with him is he can come to me and say, dad, I did this thing. And, um, you know, that's more confession, but you know, to, even today, he, today's his first dentist appointment. And, uh, he was upstairs with me while I was making the bed and he was telling me, dad, I'm nervous, dad, I'm nervous. Um, and I'm glad that he did, you know, he could have, he didn't have to come and talk to me about that, but he did. And we were able to talk about it. And I think, you know, I don't know how he's going to do, I'm sure he'll throw a massive, you know, screaming fit, but that's okay. Um, but he's going to get through it and, uh, it's going to be for his good. And by coming to us, he, and to me, he was, he was implicitly saying, you know, in order to make it through this thing. I need to grow in relationship with this person. I need to, I need to have the comfort that comes from him. And I think that that's really important. He'll probably remember the McDonald's he gets afterwards is more comforting, but that's okay. That's how little kids are. Uh, but yeah, so I think, you know, the, the, the reinforcing power of prayer to, to grow us in relationship with God is, is really important because that's, that's the whole purpose of everything that we go through is to grow in, in holiness and sanctification. And so prayer is a, is a key aspect of that. Um, you know, we don't serve an impersonal God. We serve a very personal God who loves us, who created us and loves us and, and wants to um, uh, see the best for us. And I think uh, we have to remember that the whole of life is in relationship to someone, not, you know, an isolated individual amongst a sort of um, uh, a surrounding of, of cultural touch points, I guess is a, a kind of way that I think about it. Um, it's, it's in a face-to-face -face relationship with, with the personal creator. Um, and so of course, as we experience things, 
we want to be in dialogue with that, with that creator. And I think that that's really important for prayer. Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's rooting us to uh, really the ultimate reality and truth and way, the truth and the life to the father. So thanks for sharing that with us, Robert. Um, we're going to go ahead and uh, land this uh, plane here and uh, this nasty weather on the tarmac, but I'll keep going with the metaphors, see how far <laughs> it can go. But uh, this is your reminder to resist the metaverse. I, yes. I haven't been saying this in a while. Resist the metaverse. The metaverse stay. is going to create a lot of anxiety. Oh man. There's yeah. so much there. Stay away. There's so much there. <laughs> Um, hey, well, thanks for listening. Uh, you can follow Robert on Twitter at Artie Hassler. You can follow me at Stockdale Will. And uh, we look forward to being back with you guys next week. <laughs>